This one we're going to deal with a uh, big topic. Hell is not a popular topic. It just is, and it's rough. And this class is going to be a little bit rough at times when we talk about um, the aspects of uh, eternal punishment. Now. So I'm just forewarning you right now. Um, and of course, we're using. I outlined this book, How Can a Loving God Send Anyone to Hell? I forget how to pronounce his last name. Is that Scrob? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, so what I basically did, I'm using all of his stuff. So this is not copyright infringement. This is an original with me for the most part. I've added some things to it. But I'm telling you right now, I outlined this book. This is what we're going to be going from. Um, just, just so you I want to put that out the open. This is one sweat and tears of all the work that went into this book, but I did outline this book <laughs> and kind of had my own thoughts to it as well, just so you know that. But what this is going to do, we're going to do in these classes, the first one tonight, just an introduction, um, and it's the big idea is like, how could, a, how could God even judge? Like, what qualifies God to be the judge? Like, you, you know, people are going to ask you, what, what makes him, what what makes it able to judge anybody in order to send people to hell? So that's going to be the first one. Why God is the only one qualified to judge and deliver this kind of punishment. Uh, next time we talk about the, it's the title of the book, How Could a Loving God Send Anyone to Hell? And that's the big objection. So we're going to be talking to people, whether they're believers or not, especially the progressives. How can a loving God send anyone to hell? And for, you know, all eternity. How's that work? Isn't it supposed to be love? Um, so that's next week. And then uh, we'll talk about what did loving Jesus think about hell? So we're going to talk about what Jesus taught and who, more than any other in the Bible, talk more about hell than anybody else in Scripture. So we're going to be talking about that. And then the two big objections, and this is this is where it's a little dicey, this is where it's a little heavy for us to maybe get off the biblical track. Um, so two big objections are what is hell eternal? That's a really big and it's a it's a subtle argument, but it's a real um, it's a real tempting argument. So people will say, and this is we're not going to talk about this tonight, but when we get to this chapter, look, if I'm finite, if I can only sin like however long I live, how could God punish me infinitely in hell? That's a real question. And so what this view looks at is, is saying, look, we're not saying God doesn't have wrath. So if you die apart from Jesus, you will go to hell. You will face God's wrath. But at some point, there's going to be an end to that. And you will you will go into non-existence. You will be annihilated as if you never lived. So you won't be in the endless torture. Okay? That's a big deal. And that's really making its way through evangelical churches, um, from progressives to evangelicals. And so that's because it sounds plausible. And, there, and we'll talk about some of the scriptures that they use. Um, and then the second one is, will hell be emptied at some point? There are those who believe that at some point, it's similar to the uh, 
former argument. People will go to hell for a time. Well, it runs a gamut, but some say you'll go to hell for a time, but eventually everybody will be in heaven. So you won't be annihilated, but even the worst of sinners, after the, it's almost like a purgatory type of thing. You'll be there, you'll pay that price, but eventually you will be saved because God so loved the world. And they have biblical passages that they base this on, but that's what we're going to really deal with and make sure we take it in full context. So that's the outline for our studies. I, I hope this is helpful. Again, it's going to be a little rough uh, because of the realness of it and the reality of it. But we want to be biblical, and we want to stand on what the Bible teaches. And you need to be ready to answer these questions, whether it's from an unbeliever or a progressive Christian. So here we go. All right. And again, I've outlined this book, so most of what I'm saying is borrowed from this guy. Um, so I just want to give him full credit before we go on. He begins, how can God... Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So sorry. Good thing too. We're going to have some just read. You might have to share because there's a lot of those here that are sections. When you think about hell, what do you think of? The doctrine of hell. We don't like to think about it too much, do we? Thoughts, Tony? Torment. Torment. Eternity. We don't think about it too long. It's hard. It truly is. When you think about people, look, if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, friends, loved ones, family members, you don't even want to think about it. I don't. I don't. It's very hard to do that. Um, and that hasn't been lost. Many, several years ago, a man named Bertrand Russell, he was not a Christian, he was an atheist. But one reason he wasn't a Christian or didn't want to become a Christian was because of this doctrine of hell. And he wrote this. He said, hell creates a moral problem of viciousness for God. So he said, the very existence of hell speaks to God's malice, that, that this is cruel and unusual punishment. He called it, quote, a doctrine of cruelty. For him, the very existence of hell implies that God is malicious. And so we have to ask ourselves, is that right? Is that true? Is God malicious? Is he this malevolent God who's going to just, you know, and people get this idea, like, you know, a caricature of God before you're talking unbelievers especially, you know, this mean God, if you don't do things just his way, that he's gonna you know you're gonna burn for for eternity. And so that's that's how they see it. Um what's the reality of hell say about God then? Can God be called good? 
if he sends people to hell, why does he punish people in hell for eternity? Um, if if they're finite, that's a, again we're going to deal with that. Um, so what's the existence of hell say about God? It's a big deal. That's that's kind of how the book starts out. And one answer to that, I think, is, and Scott brings this out, is, number one, the reality of evil. And that's one of the reasons, like, is if there's real evil in this world. And we could think about a number, num- an innumerable amount of occasions of true, what we would call evil, just evil acts of malice, of destruction, murder, rape, all kinds of things. The author brings out the um, example of Pol Pot. How many of you, if you're a little bit older, you probably heard of Pol Pot. If you like history as well. Or Brother Number One, as he was called. He was the leader of the Khmer Rouge and Cambodia. And this goes way back, and you can look this up. Um, in 1979, or by 79, 1.5 to 3 million people had died at their hands. And it was an awful regime that just killed any perceived enemy of the state, and especially those who would be Christians or profess kind of faith, anything that you want against, any word against the state. And I I was hoping to get some slides. I couldn't do it, though. Um, Just of of the brutality, like the mass graves. There's a movie called The Killing Fields. If you ever get a chance, check that out, because that's the story of Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge. Brutal. Excessively brutal. I can't describe how bad it is to you, but that movie kind of brings it brings it to light. Um, unimaginable crime. Just cruel. Absolutely cruel torture beyond what most people could believe. Just so awful. I mean, this is just the height of evil. And what happened with Pol Pot is, is here's this evil, evil man. No remorse, no repentance. He died in his sleep. He was 72 years old. He never faced justice at all. He felt no remorse for any of his actions. He thought he was justified and vindicated, or justified anyway. And so we want to ask, did he not have to pay for his, like death the only thing? That's the that's the payment, you know. That's all. It, you know, just him dying. Sometimes in the movies we watch, it's real evil people. We love it at the end when what? When they get blown away, right? That's kind of a that's the payment. Right? Boom, they're done. You know, they did all this evil with that and take it. You see, like you know, the dad killing her. That's we. That's the vindication that we want. But somehow, for the evil that was perpetrated, it doesn't seem that death, just dying, is enough of a consequence. And I think we do, we kind of know that in our heart of hearts. You know, we sense that. Um, that there has to be something something more. So what should happen to evil people like Pol Pot? You know, Hitler, Stalin, is death sufficient, sufficient justice? That's that kind of a question. Um, forget about the Pol Pots and the Hitlers of the world. What about those who have just committed terrible crimes and never been found out? All the serial killers that just killed countless, whatever, so many number of people, murder, rape, child abuse. Victims have suffered, but the perps have never been found out. All those who've seemingly gotten away with it, they were never even 
found out, let alone brought to justice in a civil court. It just kind of went off. Should all people everywhere have to answer for the offenses that they've committed, even if they're never found out? See, this is what, like, you know, there has to be, we, we just get that sense, and you know there must be something more, right? Or no? Is death enough? I think most people agree that something greater in terms of punishment for truly evil people. But what that punishment looked like and who's who's able to actually deal that punishment. Now we can say release it like, hey, it's God. And so you go, why? You know, because he's God. Because he created and you know he sets the standard and we could be class is over. <laughs> Let's go home. God is he's sovereign, he's authoritative, he has his standard. Um, people will say, well, isn't God love and mercy and just? Yeah, but we would say he's also holy, righteous. Well, God is loving, merciful, gracious. He's also holy, just, and righteous, too. So we would say that, and that's good. And, that, and they're all good answers, and we should say that. There's no doubt about that. But if you want to put a little more meat on those bones, that's what we're going to try to do tonight. Because you could say that. And, and you could be right. But if people want to press in and, and talk about, well, what gives God the right? Like, who, who is God to be able to do this to, to his people? Yeah, he's our creator. He's a sustainer. But we want to... Whose definition of evil and justice should we use? Right? Who gives us a definition of evil? What makes evil evil in that way, in that sense? Um, and who's able to bring true, true justice consistently in a manner, in a consistent manner to all people everywhere in every period of time. So the Christian would say, this goes a little bit deeper, we would say God. So just by way of introduction tonight, the premise is this, that God alone is uniquely the only being who's able to determine what is evil and what demands judgment and justice. So that's it. So that's what God, as and so that's as creator, and he's creator, but he has... The only one who could determine what is evil. And he sets that right. And in our heart of hearts, we have a sense of that. We have a sense of justice. You get mad when justice goes when somebody takes something from you. You get mad, you know, that, that needs something has to be done about that. And you're right. Right? So we have that sense of justice. Um, and then punishment. You know, there's there need you need to pay for that crime for what you did. We all have that. And that's given to us from God. So, um, that God alone has the power and authority over his created order to exercise this uh, cosmic justice, to put it that way. Uh, he's the only one who is holy, good, righteous, perfect, and willing and able to dispense true justice. So, the Bible teaches that what I want us to do, real, as we're going through this for the rest of our little time here, in the next half hour or so. You get there with me. What the Bible teaches about God that explains that he alone is qualified. So we want to have that grounding. Again, those answers we gave, those answers about God, holy righteousness, those are good things. But now I want to put a little bit more meat on those bones. So what about God makes him um, able to, to do these things? As a creator, as the same as we put out there. What qualifies him to judge people to help? So... First thing I think on your outline, um, uh, I think it's under implications. I'm sorry. Um, 
under number four. Um, he's uniquely able to judge because of who he is. So you need to know a little bit about something about the nature of God. This is what gives him the right to judge and to execute that judgment and that punishment. First of all, it's God's presence and judgment. So God's universally qualified. He's the only universally qualified being to judge. Why is that? Because of his presence. What's that mean? He's everywhere. <laughs> He's everywhere at all times. What's another word for that? Omni, yes, omnipresence. He is everywhere at all times. He is never not everywhere. Now you think about this. Think about the implications in your own life. He is nice. He is never not everywhere. He is present everywhere. He is an eyewitness to all things. See, now if you start talking about this to, to people, about the nature of God, now this is what gives him the right to judge. Not because it's God, but now we're explaining that. Only his omnipresence can bring about true justice. Oh, along with his other attributes as well. So right now we're just going to learn about the attributes of God in this way, but this is the thing that qualifies him as that being. He's everywhere all the time. He's omnipresent. Fully, and just think about it, just blows you away. Fully and simultaneously, everywhere, throughout history, there's no place where he is not fully present at all times. So that makes him an eyewitness. So he, he is there and we'll see that he, he knows all things as well. We have a lot of, we have scriptures to, to look at. I just want us to read a couple of them. There are many, many more. We could be here truly all night on just this one. So we want to talk about God's omnipresence. We could talk for the rest of the class about that, looking at different scriptures, going through them. And I would encourage you guys to do that as well on your own. But this is one area. Look, man, there's nowhere. You, you can't get away from him. He's everywhere. He's an eyewitness. He knows us. So, Jeremiah 23, 23, and 24. I'm going to ask for you guys to read these passages tonight. I'm not going to call on you, but those of you guys with Bibles. You know why? Because I brought my tiny little Bible. I meant to bring my big Bible, and I don't feel like putting my glasses on and off and trying to find the passages, so I'm going to just put that burden on you tonight. <laughs> so, if... Uh, I see Leela and Mikey, and we're just going to read it. We're not going to read all the, pa the passages here. So, what's he saying? Okay. okay, so Leela, Jeremiah 23, 23, and 24. So we want to think about omnipresence. And then Mikey, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, if you want to do that. Okay, <clears throat> Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23. Am I a God at hand? declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Okay, so that's his omnipresence. And that's just one verse that speaks to, to that, that God is everywhere at all times. Psalm uh, 139, 7 through 10, Mike. Where shall I build from your spirit? Where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall be and your right hand shall hold me. Okay, so there, those are just two passages. Again, with every aspect here, every 
attribute. We could be here really literally all night talking about this from the scripture, developing that. Wisdom is a sample text that speak to God's attributes. So he is omnipresent all the time from before the foundation of the world, throughout all of history. Again, this is mind-blowing when you start to think about it. And this is what one of the things that qualifies him as God to be able to judge. He knows everything. You can't get over on him in any single way. Understand? He knows. So if you're in a courtroom, he's like the perfect way. He knows. You can't lie to him. You can't get away from that. He's he's there when you sin. He's there when you do that evil. So he's eminently qualified in that regard. So that's one. Number two, his knowledge, God's knowledge and judgment is the second attribute. Not only is he everywhere present, he's also omniscient. He also knows everything. He's an all-knowing God. He's everywhere, knows all things, past, present, and future. Again, by his decree. All things are laid bare before him. Think about this. Every thought, every intention of the heart, every event. He's infinitely wise. So um, we're going to read four passages from this. Um, Lainey, would you turn to Hebrews 4.13? And then, Tony, would you do Psalm 44.20-21? So here's the idea of his omniscience, all-knowing. Yeah, we can't, and you know, you can see the overlap too with these things. So, Hebrews 4.13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of men to whom he must give account. Okay, that is really good. We're going to give an account. We're laid bare before him. And so that makes him, his knowledge, infinitely qualified to judge because he knows us. In a courtroom, you might be able to trick people. They, you don't know what I'm thinking, or you don't, you didn't know my intentions. They try to find those things out in a, during a hearing and whatever what was going on with them. But God knows, He knows already uh, all the time. So there's there's no like, there's no excuse we can make if we're guilty. Um, Psalm 44, 20 and 21. Psalm 44, 20 and 21. We have forgotten the name of our God, or split our hands to a strange God, and I'll God find us up. He knows the secrets of the heart. So yeah, these guys. If we try to worship another God, who are there? You think God doesn't see that? You think God doesn't know that? What's it say at the end, or verse twenty-one? He knows the secrets of the heart. He knows the secrets of the heart. So and he doesn't have to wait for the outward actions, or even us to, to speak some. He already knows the intentions of the heart. He already knows those things. So this, it's just searing through. So this is what makes him qualified. If somebody asks you, who's God to judge? Well, this is who he is. He's God, and this is why. And so we could talk about these kinds of things in conversations nicely with humility and grace. But this is a real attack, um, again, with the progressives especially. And, and we ran into them at the Pride Parade, the Pride Festival, she was the toughest one. We talked to Satanists. We talked to you know people that are out there very in their in their pride and uh, uh, minister with his collar. They were very amiable. We had really good discussions, really good talks with them. We talked to the lady and Luke talked to the progressive Christian. She was a tough one. <laughs> he wasn't giving any slides and just on these kinds of things too. It's, 
whoa. So, um, and, and, and progressives really believe that they are Christians, but that we get it wrong and they have it right. And we've gotten it wrong for so long, but now they have it right. So that's kind of the, the battle there. But um, here, God knows all things. We, he knows the intentions. He knows the action thoughts, the detailed desires of every single person throughout the universe for all time. Also, he's not a distant God. He's not just out there. He's not this God who started the world and just kind of left. He's very imminent as well. He is with us. So uh, Matthew 10, 29 and 30. Somebody with a Bible, anybody? Kevin? And so there it is. There's the, the, he's not some far off, but as the deists say, kind of get the world started and bye bye God. No, 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 no. He's very much present and, and amongst us as a part. No place to run, no place to hide, in other words. Uh, I, I like the idea of deism, though, in some ways, if you want to get away with it, because that, they, the, 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 that's not really popular anymore. The founding fathers and. Uh, with the Enlightenment came this idea of deism. They wanted, you know, they're not going to believe the silly Bible with the miracles and you know, all these true atonement things. So, but they still believe in God. Um, like Jefferson with the Jefferson Bible, Thomas Jefferson, he cut all the miracles out, all the healings, and um, just literally with scissors. And that was his Bible. He just wanted the good moral teaching. Well, that's what the deists say. God gets it started, he creates things. Winds up the clock and then just takes off and let us figure it out for ourselves. In a way, that's kind of nice, uh, but I guess it's very Star Trekky, <laughs> man figuring it all out. And that's, that's the idea. Uh, Matthew six thirty one through thirty three. I don't know if Benny or Gemma, if you guys have Matthew six thirty one thirty three. Uh, yeah, Matthew six thirty one through thirty three. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. And so there's that intimacy again. That's what we're trying to say. Again, very knowing the lilies of the field, like Solomon. This is God knows what you need, so we need to seek Him and look to Him, and He'll provide so richly for us in Jesus Christ. He's not going to abandon us as orphans. He's not going to leave us alone. He's with us, and He needs us. If you're a Christian, that's beautiful. If you're not a Christian, that's very scary. They, they don't want to think that. That's, I don't want God to be near me, because <laughs> you know? I don't want I don't to deal with this. Just, but for us, that's so comforting to know that He's not some distant God. So, because of His omniscience, uh, He cannot be deceived. He can't be convinced. That an action was good when it was not. Amen. Praise God. So he's the ultimate. Uh, he knows uh, the truth. He knows everything that's ever been, everything that ever will be. He stands as the only one who's able to judge and administer true justice for all people everywhere because of that. So this is a just laying the foundation for when we get into the bigger objections. This is who God is. So when people ask us this question, this is how we could attempt to reason and respond back. I mean, you're going to get pushback, obviously. But this is a foundation for where we come from. 
uh, what the answer. So this is how God is able to judge. He's created us. He's made us. And this is uh, the attributes about him that enable him to judge us. So God's power in judgment. Um, if there's a God who lacks power or complete sovereignty, when we talk about God's power, we're usually referring to God as sovereign over all things. He's almighty God, right? There's no God besides me. I am the God. There's no God before me, no God after me. All the gods that men make are from their hands or there's something that they fashion or they make up there. I am the true and living, all-powerful God, almighty God, sovereign God over all things, uh, the God who is put forth his decree and his plan is working out. So um, any God that's a being or whatever else out there that lacks complete sovereignty is not capable of bringing offenders to justice. They don't have the power to do that. He rules over his creation. And this is the idea where God has made all things, man. He's created all things. We are the creature. He is the creator. He sets the rules. We want to push back and fight against that, and that that just leads to trouble. So we're going to answer to him for that. Right? That's This is his world. We answer to him. So even when we think it's you know it might not be fair or whatever, this or that, we answer to him. And so he's absolutely authoritative over all things, everywhere, at all times. He alone is sov- has sovereign authority. Uh, he is almighty. I'm just going to mention these scriptures because too much more time. Um, there's a, there's a scriptures there that you could check out on this one. We'll read a few more in the other places. But there's um, 2 Corinthians 6.18, he's almighty God. Of course, Genesis 1, uh, Psalm 147, 4 and 5. I, I will read that one. I'll try to. Psalm 147, just so you have at least one, one scripture. And it's so hard to turn these pages as well. I have that one. Yeah. Oh, you have 147? Yes, yeah, 1-5. Yeah. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Okay. He holds the universe in his hand. His, he is sovereign over all things. He holds all things together. All things work according to his purpose and plan, his decree. He's powerful in in that way. Um, Psalm 2, all authority of the nations to rule over him. He has all power. So the only one really capable, he's capable of upholding true justice because, number one, he defines what justice is and it flows from him. And every single person will give an account to him. So that's that's his power in judgment. So this is who can judge God, and this is why. Um, his eternality, and this would be a really good study when we talk about the aseity of God, who created God, how did he get here. That's a discussion for another night, another time. Um, R.C. Sproul has a really good lecture on that, and I would commend that to you. But the fact that scripture teaches that God is the uncreated one, and that's so foreign to us because we can't think like that. Everything is derivative for us. We're created. Everything's created. Everything you see comes from something, right? Uh, God has no beginning and no end. And so that's a really um, 
hard quality or attribute of God to grasp, but yet, that's what Scripture teaches very plainly, um, but the eternality in judgment. He existed before the foundation of the world. He is the uncreated creator. He existed before time as we know it. Um, there's never been a time when he did not exist. That can just blow your mind. We can just sit here and contemplate that. That makes me want to take, like, drugs or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just kind of think of the unknowable, right? Like those hippies with the acid or whatever. That's the kind of thing, you know. Because um, the uncreated creator, how do you get there? Existed before time. There's never been a time when he did not exist. That, it just, you know, he is the everlasting God. Uh, whose years can't be counted. Uh, just just one passage here, I think. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, if somebody wants to take that on. Isaiah 40, uh, verse 28. Again, this is speaking to the eternality of God who created him. Somebody have that, Lainey? Do you have that? <clears throat> Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known, have you not heard the word of the everlasting God Have you not heard? The everlasting God. Uh, the one who was, is, and is to is to come. So his eternality qualifies him to judge all things. He was here before all things. So this, these are reasons why. This is what we would say. So in conjunction with his omnipresence, omniscience, we can know that God has never missed a single event at any time in all creation, from the beginning of time. Amazing. It's amazing thing. He doesn't need to rely on witnesses. In this case. In any case. His eternality, that he's eternal, combined with his unchanging nature, lets us know that he'll apply the same standard judgment always and forever. Isn't that amazing? We're, we're in a time right now where the standard is changing. I mean, I, I don't know how many of you have confidence in our justice system right now. It's kind of shaky, to say the least. Um, it changes because we're sinful. And that's what I love, you know, digressing just a little bit, about the founding of this nation on the biblical principles. That's really what we founded on. That's why we had separate branches of government. Why? Checks and balances. Those guys knew. They knew about the human heart. They knew if you get the, the sovereign king and the ruler or the, you know, I can't say the the bad ruler, the sinful ruler, that it's it's going to end badly. So you need your checks and balances. And if you're a moral people, it could work for a while. And it has worked, and it served us well. There was a time when you could go to court and expect a fair hearing and trial. That's not so much anymore. Um, and that's, that's a real sign of you know, our departing from God and the degradation that that standard that we held so high is manipulated, is changed, is changed. Like, just think of partiality and impartiality. My goodness. Are we living in a day of impartiality anymore, for real? I mean, it's never been perfect, don't get me wrong. But it's just so blatant. The bias is so blatant. With God, that doesn't happen. Right? With God, his standard is the same as it was. His judgment's Always and forever are right. They're completely trustworthy. So that's he's always going to judge rightly. 
Um, so if it's true, the absolute justice to be obtained um, only through an eternal, omnip omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God who was qualified to bring that about. So this is this is why God is the judge of the earth. And we're setting this all up because when we start talking about actual hell and the realities of hell, you're going to need to fall back on this because it's a it's a really really difficult doctrine to comprehend fully, to explain fully, to embrace fully. It's hard to embrace it. Think about it. Um, it's, it's very difficult. So you need to understand that the justice, all these attributes of God means that he does it rightly and fairly and according to his nature and will. So Because there's going to be a real temptation to say, well, that's not fair. That just doesn't seem right. I would do this as we get farther into this. So this is real important to have this groundwork to understand God is able to, he does it, he does it rightly. Nobody will get injustice. Nobody will be punished beyond what they have not deserved. Okay, um, And that's because of who he is. Another attribute, we're almost done here actually, I've just got a few more, is the immutability of God. What's immutability mean? Come on, Carmina, what's immutability? That's what that is. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm changing it. I'll put her on the spot. I love you, sweetie. Uh, God's immutability and judgment. Uh, and this is beautiful. Again, he does not and cannot and will not change. He's always the same. This is our God. He doesn't. Now, I know there's objections to this. We're not going to do this tonight. Maybe at the beginning of next class. Uh, because especially when it comes to the, immu the immutability of God, that he doesn't change or change his mind. Well, you're going to point to past says, God changed his mind. You know, Moses convinced God to do it to relent. You know, what about Jonah? The beginning of next week's class will deal with that objection. But, when you take scripture from beginning to end, the nature of God, how he's presented, he does not change, he will not change. Because of his nature, he cannot change. So, I do want to read three passages regarding this. Uh, Lila, would you turn this? I'm coming back to you guys. Psalm 102. 25 through 27. Mikey Moss. Malachi. Ooh, we're tested. Malachi. It's a last. <laughs> That's It's seminary Malachi 3 6. What's Malachi? The Malachi papers. <laughs> the professor started cracking up. That's Malachi. Oh, Malachi 3.6. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 6. And then, Will, would you look up Numbers 23.19? Just so you see that. And it's nice to know, just, just as we've seen before. Again, these overlap, too, uh, with other ones, but he's not going to change. So, Lila, Psalm 102, 25, and 27, nice and loud. <clears throat> 102. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Okay, so there's the immutability, eternality, years have no end. Uh, Malachi 3.6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I do not change. Numbers 
God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Okay, so this brings out the, the idea of immutability. And again, all these things, we're so thankful for this with God that he doesn't change. We're living in the changing tides. Man changes his mind. We ebb and flow. We go along with the culture at one time or whatever is popular here. We see that it's nice to have that God who does not change. He doesn't grow. He doesn't mature. He doesn't change in any capacity. He's consistent. His nature, character, and love do not change. Um, he will not become complacent towards wickedness. This is a wonderful thing. And that's what happens in societies, even the ones that start off really well. The biggest problem, especially in the judicial system, but everywhere throughout society, is what? Once you start, over time, we become complacent. You know, it's a little bit. And there's always that pressure. And I call it, it's like a racetrack that always goes to the left. I know some go to the right, but most go to the left. If you're watching, and that's we're always going that way. It's like say always leaning up. It just happens. If you're a conservative, oftentimes it, you'll the leftward leaning, pushing, always coming that way. It's it's hard to stand up against that at times. Um, but with with the Lord, He does not change, and that's so good to know that, that His standards don't change. He doesn't change. Everything that He does is perfect. He's perfect and unchanging. He never lied. He never cheated. He never committed a crime. He never will. Uh, he's never lacking in any capacity in any way. He doesn't need to change. We change. He, he doesn't. Um, he always acts in the right way. His ways are right and never wrong. He doesn't make mistakes. We can trust that his judgments are right. And again, we can look at scripture after scripture that speaks to this. He's the only one who always makes the right judgment. And he brings, let's say, um, perfect justice because of who he is in his very nature. So he's not relying, like we have to even rely on the set of laws. We have to rely on this, like to bring justice. He relies on his own nature to bring forth justice, just because justice flows from who he is. That's how we know what evil is. That's how we know what good is. That's how we define right and wrong by his standard. When you define it by any other standard, then you're messed up. And that's what happens. Anytime you try to take God out of the picture, so the communist, the Marxist, you want to get rid of God and you want man to set the standard, it ends badly every single time. And just look at history, throughout history. Um, but when that, when you have that ultimate standard, again, in our country, we did a pretty good job for a pretty long time holding to those standards. It's slipping now, but you could see that. People would, you, know, you wouldn't want to be in Russia. You wouldn't want to be in South America. You wouldn't want to be anywhere where the gospel hasn't touched the lives, the Western world in some ways, even in like Muslim nations. They have Sharia law, but that's a very different interpretation from a biblical law. There's not there's not a grace in that system whatsoever when it comes to justice, but that's another story as well. So, here's God. His righteousness is fair. All his judgments are just. He'll never judge wrongly and he'll never be overly harsh. All his judgments are just. When he brings forth the judgment, we shouldn't view him as mean or vile, and that's the tendency with so many people. How could a loving God do this? You know, this is a mean God to, to punish people in that way or to send people there. 
Um, he's a ruthless God. He's an unfair God. He's an unloving God. Um, but on the contrary, we should see him as loving. And I think uh, one way that we kind of neglect to see the real love and grace of God in the in the world today is we don't take or don't consider, I don't think, um, his common grace enough to heart. We don't take that to heart enough. If you think about it, and even in scripture uh, with Hagar, she was the one that was pushed off. And Ishmael, they, they, wouldn't, they weren't going to be part of Israel, but God still gave grace. I still make a great nation of you. God still showed grace even to, to Israel's enemies through his common grace. Like in Acts, he brings rain. He brings seasons. He, he gives to you. So I think we want to think of, of God. People want to think of him harsh and unfair, maybe in his judgments. But if you think about God's wonderful common grace that he gives to every single person, like the sun shines on the wicked and the good. The rain falls on the wicked and the good. The very people have opportunities to, to make money, to live in that way. All to breathe because of his common grace. I mean, we just kind of take everything we take for granted and people will never acknowledge God. When they sit down to have a meal, they're not going to pray and give thanks to God. But really, without God's grace and mercy, they wouldn't even have that. They don't thank him. Unbelievers don't even think to thank him for the gifts and talents. Sometimes they'll say, oh yeah, I'll thank, the, you know, thank my lucky stars or thank gosh or whatever. Because it, they still can't escape God in their heart of hearts and in their world in the world, but for the most part, you know, just everything that we have that we just take for granted, people need to think to thank God and just kind of live the way they want without acknowledging him, without giving him any kind of credit, but, you know, just, they just live their lives in, in the way, they'll thank something else, their lucky stars, um, whatever. Um, so I think it's, we really need to bring that into consideration when we know when we know what people deserve because of our sin, and yet how gracious God is to us, even to those who will never trust in Him. So that's something to be thinking about. Um, we should see Him as loving because He is uh, one who cares for right and wrong, and that's what it really comes down to. And we we talked about early on. He is loving. He's gracious. He's merciful, but He is holy, and we're going to see that next week. He's, that's a big deal. He's concerned with holiness, righteousness, and justice. Again, how many of us, how many of you would, live, would want to live in a world where there's no justice? You know, think about that. Something goes wrong. Somebody destroys your family and they, they get away with it. And, and the court's like, Where's the justice in this? We long for justice. <laughs> Even the little things, you know, at work. This person's like, they're not doing their job. You know, that's, you know, the slothfulness there, laziness, whatever, other, but it's not right. <laughs> it's not just. They're not doing this. They're not doing what they're supposed to do, or they get away with things, you know, that they shouldn't get away with. So we, in every area of life, every day, throughout the day, we want justice on a larger scale. Because we're made in that way. It reflects the character of God. And he's the one who executes it perfectly. We don't always execute it perfectly in our world, in our ways. But we know it. When somebody's wrong, when that murderer is convicted and the hammer goes down, 
Yes, the courtroom screams because justice is served. And then the penalties do. So, he always judges justly and brings justice. He demands it. Perfect justice. Because he is who he is, the wicked, the evil, will never get away with it. So Pol Pot will not get away with it. And that's just like, as Christians, we can't wait to go to heaven. Like, we're longing for our heavenly home. I hope you are if you're a Christian. That's a, that's a Paul, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, you know, to be away, to be in the body, to be away from the Lord. Better to be at home with the Lord than, than away from because of what he has prepared for us. But the, just the opposite is, is true for the wicked who have not trusted. And that's why it's so important for us to preach the gospel and to really have an urgency to preach, to tell people about Christ, not get mad when people are mean to us or not be as shy, afraid, embarrassed, not have the courage. They need Jesus Christ. So we want to be humble. It doesn't matter what they say to you. If you're being faithful, they're going to call you names. They're going to resist. They're going to... Whatever they're going to do, that's okay. That's okay. Because they need Christ more than anything. Because they will not get away with evil, with their sins, unless they're trusting in Jesus Christ. And that's that's why this is such a big deal for us. And that that's what's at stake here. And that's another reason people hate hell. Bottom line, in their heart of hearts, they know. The Bible's clear that they know God, Romans 1, suppressing the truth. They know they're going to give an account. And they want to do everything they can to kind of avoid that idea. So it's it's, it's a big deal um, for us to do that. So no evil thought or action will go unpunished because he is the righteous judge. And that's a bit that's that's what we want to to lay the groundwork work with. Um, how's he going to judge them? He'll make righteous and just judgments. The guilty will be punished in hell for all eternity. God will pour out his divine wrath on the unrepentant and the guilty. So that's the bottom line. So um, that's basically it for, for tonight. It's 8 o'clock. And um, any any questions, feedback, pushback, ideas, add on to this? Is this helpful to, to kind of lay that foundation just in an introductory way? This is how God is able to judge. Who's God to judge? This is who he is to judge. This is why, as creator, as sustainer, because of his nature, this is what gives him the right and the, priv- the duty to to judge um, the wicked. So, what tell you? Trust on these attributes. Oh yeah. Make it, so all his attributes are the same. They're not. Yeah, well, what's the one attribute people want to always exalt above all the others? Love. <laughs> God is love. That's right. God is love. But just as much as he's love, he's all the attributes to their fullest extent at all times. That They define the character and nature of God. So just as much as he's love, he's just. So, just, you know, so his love doesn't outdo his justice. You know what I'm saying? Works in conjunction with it. He loves justice, so he has to be be that just judge, because he's not more love than he is just, or you know, more merciful than he is holy, more righteous, you know, th- than he is gracious. He's he is that. Oh, that's that's the nature and the character of God. These are his attributes. So yeah, that's one thing that people try to do. Well, my God's a God of love, so love trumps everything. Love wins, right? Okay? 
who defines love. God does. What's he say about love? He loves justice. He loves mercy. He's, he's the God of love in that way. So we have to go to God to define what love is. And you'll see that this is the nature and the character of God brought out of this thing. So that's good. So you can't mix and match. It's not you know, two parts this and one part this. He is God, and this is his nature and character. And this is how he's described in Scripture. In scripture. So, is this helpful at all? Just good to lay a foundation? Because we're not, we're not in the nitty-gritty yet. We're going to get into that in the next couple of weeks. But, um, so, he is God. Anything else? Questions, comments? All right. I mean, Father in heaven, we thank you for creation. I do thank you, Lord, for this evening as we begin our study on this tremendous, um, scary doctrine, Lord. And yet, as we come to know you and learn about you and who you are, Lord God, it begins to, to, to make sense, especially in light of who we are and what we deserve for transgressing and for sinning against and holding in contempt and holding in derision and rebelling against the one who made us. Without repentance, without remorse, Lord God, uh, your judgments are just, Lord God, and your punishments are righteous in that. And you are glorified in your justice, Lord God, in that regard. So we do pray that you would give us deep understanding of a very difficult subject, Lord God, and help us to come to see the, the glory that it brings to you, that you stand vindicated, that you stand just, that you that you deliver, you meet out the punishment that is necessary because of your holiness and your righteousness and your justice, Lord. So we do thank you and praise you and just pray, Lord God, that um, we think about these things and that we come back next week ready to take up the question, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? Pray that you would see us safely to our homes. Thank you for this evening. In Jesus' name.